0: Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America.
1: And welcome to Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode number twenty-four, and I am Scott Gardner,
0: and I am Michael Bailey.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going okay. Um, I'm kind of excited uh, to to get into the episode that we're doing. Uh, not not so much that I love the material, but you and I were discussing off air uh, yesterday. I think it was about the fact that you know we're we're we're, we're kind of we're into the books we're going to be covering for the next month or so, mm-hmm. a couple of months with, you know, the JLA crossovers and the Power Girl origin and the Steel, the Indestructible Man and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, frankly, we're both itching to just get right into All-Star Squadron. Yeah, so. yeah
1: big time. So, <laughs> so I, I, this will be an interesting era because I think it's it's equal parts – stories that were just like okay we said we'd cover it so let's just get the hell through it like what we're kind of talking about today to be honest but then there's there's uh, there's the equal part of stuff that uh you know while like you say I'm ready to get to All-Star Squadron there there are some things that uh I I'm happy to make a little pit stop along the way to acknowledge like uh like the huntress material you know I'm really yes. looking forward to examining that stuff more in depth than I really had ever before. So Gotta
0: yeah, dig that trade out. As a matter of fact,
1: I wish I could find that trade cheap. I keep seeing it on eBay, but every time it's just 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 a little out of my price range. But
0: uh, it doesn't that just upset you. It's like it's a trade paperback. Come on,
1: yeah, I, really? I'm spoiled. I, I, that's what it really is. What it all comes down to. I'm spoiled. I'm so used to being able to find back issues for under a dollar and trades for under $5 that now I don't want to pay more than five or six bucks for a trade or more than a dollar for, back. I really just don't. And I know that that's ridiculous, but that's just how I am. You know, I really just don't want to spend more than that.
0: Don't feel bad. I'm pretty much the exact same way with, with, with pretty much back issues. It's like, I look on eBay from time to time. Uh, this will be our one and only digression for the episode. Uh, well that we plan. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) You know, you look on eBay and, and you know, when, when we go to that comic shop we went to around my birthday or went to that comic show, it's like, you know, I picked up the entire uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe volume one and two for 50 cents a piece. So you, you get that in your head like, yeah, I, we, you know, th- you can get this stuff cheap. And then you go on eBay and it's like 50 bucks for one, one set. And it's just like, what? Really? Right. Okay. Is, if that's really you like it that much. Is that it? That's gotta be it. I've been that, that, that just has to be. They they just wanna hold on to it and they don't wanna sell it.
1: Before. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to replace uh my coverless copy of World's Finest two hundred seventy one, because eventually we're uh, I plan to cover that. And uh I mean I keep finding it on eBay, but every single time it's like $8 with $2 shipping or $2 with $8 shipping. I'm like, "Come on, guys. 10 bucks for this? Are you fucking kidding me?" I mean, this <laughs> this is a dollar book at Max, right? I mean, this is yeah. something you should be able to find in a in a dollar bin or a 50 cent bin somewhere. I mean, there's Honestly, as much as I I dig some of the issues and all, there aren't really any great back issues of World's Finest. It was really kind of one of those throwaway books, you know what I mean? So give me a break, you know? Yeah, like that that
0: whole story with Green Arrow running for mayor. That's just
1: boring. Uh,
0: Even the Captain Marvel stuff wasn't always good, even though that was like Captain Marvel was trying to be better.
1: I like it uh, mostly for the art, although uh, we still have uh at least one um so called lost episode of back to the bins that that'll hopefully air one day that i did with thomas d j where the the issue I brought to the table was the uh origin of captain Marvel jr story that was retold in world's finest uh with art by don newton man that was, that was oh. that's solid that's really solid, wacky but solid so
0: so, we get that second showcase out so I could see that crap. Yeah. Oh, is that in there? Oh, uh, it, oh yeah. it should be. Yeah. It, 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 they don't have a second Shazam showcase. They have a first one, and it did like the like the first twenty five issues of the of the Shazam with one magic word series. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I've tried reading it three times yeah. now. It's I cannot good. get past issue three. It's not good.
1: It, it's not until they they. Late in that series, I think it was like the last two issues where they suddenly took like, a, okay, let's make this a little bit more serious. I hate to say darker, but it was a slightly darker turn, and uh, and that led into that stuff that was in like World's Finest. Well, and,
0: well probably dark like Batman the Animated Series was darker than the 1979 right. Batman Animated yeah. Series.
1: Exactly, but yeah, yeah I, I misheard what you said when you said they need to get the second trade out. I, I the, yeah,
0: they they really do because I'd buy it. I really would, even with yeah. my modest income. Your because those issues are impossible to find because the print runs were so low. Yeah, so I
1: would totally snap that up though if they if they did a if they did a um, showcase that collected all those cap stories from World's Finest, I would totally buy that. So, are you listening, DC?
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh. like they'd listen to us. After yeah,
1: right, after all, the, after all the FUs we've given them lately. Yeah, that. Yeah, they're well, like, screw oddly- those guys.
0: Well, oddly enough, Captain Marvel provides a nice segue into <gasps> he the, does. First, uh, the first books we're talking about today. We are going over, starting with this episode and ending with the next episode, because there's a total of five stories to discuss. Right. Um, the Justice League, Justice Society crossovers... That took place after All Star Comics number 58 came out. Now, there's a lot of history between the teams, and there really is. You know, going back to Flash number 137 when the Justice Society got back together again. And I have the trade paperbacks, and thanks to Scott, some copies of all of these crossovers. The problem is. Is that the first couple, while awesome in idea, because it was like the first time this happened, some of them aren't all that good. (laughs) I hate to say it, but it's true. So we're using the excuse that we're covering the JSA from All-Star Comics number 58 going forward as an excuse not to... Not to have to go back and go through those books. I mean, some of them were cool. But really, like the trade that I'm using today for the books that we're covering, I have uh, it has the crossovers from Justice League of America number 123 and 124. And that was the one where Carrie Bates became a supervillain.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And it's, it's an interesting idea, I'll admit, but it's not a very good story.
1: Yeah, I'm I wasn't a big fan of those ones where they started to come to Earth Prime, you know, which was the Earth that that was supposedly like the Earth that we really live on and yeah, I I know what they're going for and all that and I appreciate them within the context of their time period, but yeah, now they just read kind of painfully, I think.
0: I just, you know, I, I know that Stan and Jack and John Byrne has carried on this tradition as well. You know, used to throw themselves into issues of the Fantastic Four. You know, right. just to, but you see, on that, I feel I don't. I mean, I realize it's probably out of ego, but it's also was a way for this fledgling comic company called Marvel, even though Marvel had been around as Timely an Atlas. You know, it was a way to kind of ingratiate themselves to the fans. You know, it's right. like, hey, we're going to show you the people behind the scenes. By the 1970s, it just seems kind of egotistical that Carrie Bates and and uh, what well, Elliot Magan got thrown into the story. It's just like, really? You guys are writing this series?
1: <laughs> well, I remember reading some of those as a kid because uh, one of those issues, I'm not sure which one it is, but one of those was one of my earliest comic books I ever read as a child. I remember just being absolutely lost. Who who is this guy? Cuz I there's a there was a disconnect to me that this was actually one of the people that was the creators of the book. It just somehow I didn't understand that or didn't get that reference as a kid. And so, yeah, it I don't know. I guess that that first impression has been a lasting impression that it just doesn't fit, you know?
0: But the uh the first one we're going to be talking today, Talking about today uh is the i guess the overall story could be called Crisis on earth s mm-hmm. even though that's the title of one of the particular issues and it stretched out from Justice League of America number one thirty five to one thirty seven uh, one thirty five has a cover date of october nineteen seventy six We do get a roll call, which is kind of awesome right there on the first page uh the j l a roll call is flash. Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Superman and special guest Hawk Girl. The JSA roll call is Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Johnny Thunder, Robin. <laughs> yeah, I'm ke- yeah, the, the Johnny Thunder hate comes back, folks. You're going to be hearing it all through this <laughs> all through the notes on this one. And uh, Wonder Woman. And the legendary heroes of Earth-S, Bullet Girl, Bullet Man, Ibis the Invincible, Mr. Scarlet, and his sidekick, Pinky. <laughs> Give me a minute. I, every, I I read it, I laugh, I can't say it without laughing. And the Spy Smasher.
1: Spice water. Spice water.
0: <laughs> Uh, plot and Continuity by E. Nelson Bridwell. Words by Martin Pasco And Dick Dillon Dick, Dick and Frank McLaughlin uh, did the art on this one. And we're going to really try to rein in our opinions on Dick Dylan. No, we're not.
1: Sorry no, we're that. not. So, I'm not going to rein myself in on Martin Pascoe either, because this needs to be amended. Instead of saying words, it needs to say too many damn words.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we begin with a prologue. Armageddon minus 24 hours. King Cull, Lord of the Beastmen, who looks like most of the guys you see at, like, freaking the, the Atlanta Motor Speedway <laughs> or, uh, or a Brave Stadium about midsummer when they're not wearing a shirt, and you're like, dude, you're wearing a sweater. Cover that shit up or shave it. Um, travels via a, quote-unquote, chillingly bizarre vehicle to the Rock of Eternity. He attacks the rock with his topar beam, which slows the molecular motion of the gods themselves. Mercury manages to escape as Kull lands his craft and begins to rant about how his people were killed by the Cro-Magnons, who were apparently the slaves of Kull's people. So I'm guessing, even though they're called submen, that Kull is a Neanderthal.
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: kind of like Vandal Savage. Yeah,
1: race, these so. yeah they are so similar characters. I'm I'm surprised that they haven't just been melded into one character at this point.
0: To the point that when Cull was on uh, Brave and the Bold uh, in the Booster Gold episode, yeah, uh, Rachel's like, "Is that Vandal Savage?" Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. My kids said the same thing. Isn't that <laughs> Vandal Savage's origin?
0: So uh, it was, but they used it for King Cull. even though, unless he, ha- I'm not familiar with the character. He's one of my blind spots, because I'm not really overly familiar with the, you know, the faucet-based characters. But anyways, Cull swears to commit the same genocide against humankind. Unknown to Cull, the wizard Shazam Cull sends a mental SOS to Mercury and puts a plan in effect to stop Cull. So we get chapter one. Gather ye heroes while ye may. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to um, Dead Poet Society. Green Arrow and Black Canary are busy stopping a train robbery when Arrow is suddenly taken to what I assume is JLA headquarters. Because damn it, if they never explain that, by Mercury on Earth two. Batman out of retirement for the evening for an awards ceremony and Robin chit chat in the Batmobile when suddenly wonder woman flash green lantern and Johnny thunder appear. It looks like the back seat. I didn't think the Batmobile had a back seat, but
1: (laughs) it does now
0: for the, yeah, for the purposes, (laughs) for the purposes of this story, the Batmobile of earth Two, which looks kind of cool. Um, has a backseat. Before Batman and Robin can react to this, Mercury appears, makes a few modifications to the Batmobile, and suddenly the Batmobile is flying through space (sighs) with Mercury standing on the hood.
1: He does make an awesome hood ornament,
0: though. (laughs) But you can't see beyond him. Well, you know... Put some pants on. Good God. There's children present.
1: You know what would make this the greatest Batman story ever, though, is in that moment where Batman is like, what the hell? As he turns around and all those guys popped into the bags, back seat, He's he not over. watching the road at all. And he totally should be running over like a bag lady crossing the street <laughs> or something. I was not love then it, that.
0: And then, and then it just cuts to all of them, like, surrounding the bag lady. And Robin's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And just drive like, away, dude. Just drive away. It's okay, it's okay. We can make, look, look, we can make it look like the sportsmaster did this. We can we, you know.
1: and then she haunts him forever. Thanks well, for the ride, Batman.
0: That actually reminds me of the the Rick Jones Tell-all book that I came up with like 10, 15 years ago <laughs> while working late one night about how Captain America and Nick Fury and Thor killed a prostitute one night after <laughs> going to a skin bar. <laughs> and how they drop a soul gem so the cops will think it's thanos <laughs> and thanos gets arrested on titan by like a 1970s era new york squad car <laughs> oh. oh man when you work third shift dude sometimes yeah your mind you goes think strange,
1: of, strange places yes i'm very familiar with it <laughs>
0: I did that shit for a year and a half. Um, read a lot of comics, though. Let me tell you that, because not a lot of people come into a convenience store at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> As Cole rants about destroying Earths 1, 2, and the newly minted Earth-S, and you know that it's early, newly minted because on the page, it's like in bigger letters and colored <laughs> than anything else. <laughs> Ibis and his wife, I'm going to say Taya, and since she's really not part of the story beyond that, it really doesn't matter. So, I are busy
1: I think her last name is Yellow Ribbon.
0: <laughs> are busy moving their belongings via his IBIS stick. <laughs> yeah, We're five-year-olds all of a sudden. <laughs> is that your IBIS stick showing, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> uh, but they're moving their belongings to their new headquarters. Mercury appears and tells the duo that the gods need their help, and in short order, Ibis, Bullet Man, Bullet Girl, Spy Smasher, Mr. Scarlet, and Pinky the Whiz Kid.
1: Yeah, that's not gay at all.
0: <sighs> it's not so much that. It's just you get the feeling that by the time they got to Mr. Scarlet and Pinky that the dynamic duo names had been really starting to run thin. <laughs> right. It's like, well, okay, like right before him was Catman and Kitty. Or the Black Terror, my favorite, absolute favorite, the Black Terror and Tim.
1: You know, I, I'm not one of those guys that that's a big supporter of the of the the whole theory that that Batman and Robin back in the day had some sort of homosexual overtone, undertone thingy to it. But it's hard for me to look at this splash of Mr. Scarlet and Pinky the whiz kid and, and not go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> he was doing him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, there's something just not right going on there. Yeah. This
0: is the love that dare not speak its name. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: um, all of those heroes, though, appear with the other heroes, with the Justice League and the Justice Society, though Mr. Scarlet is curious about where Captain Marvel is. Chapter 2 Crisis on a Lost Continent Teams are formed, though Johnny Thunder is seemingly left out. Shocking. I know he has a part to play later in the episode, but frankly, if I was forming up teams, Johnny Thunder would be the one to get picked last for kickball.
1: (laughs) Well, I got to be honest. The thing that Mercury says there about, uh, you know, I'm I'm keeping you in reserve for a special mission. I really thought he was telling him that just to make him feel better. better. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out it's the truth, but I really did get that impression (laughs) that he was just saying that so that Johnny would, you know.
0: Yeah, like his special mission is, you get to serve the milk and cookies whenever everyone <laughs> gets back. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking hate Johnny Thunder. Um, on Earth 2, Superman and Wonder Woman duke it out with Queen Clea of Atlantis, which had a different history on Earth 2 involving a race of strong women and frail, small men. Penguin, Iback, and Blockbuster who is under the thrall of Venus's girdle, which allows Clea to control him, are her minions. Clea manages to get a girdle on Superman as well, though Wonder Woman uses the open-source nature of the girdle's controlling powers against Clea, and the two heroes prevail. Basically, Venus's girdle allows any a, a woman to control a man. The problem is, is it allows any woman to control a man.
1: I think Wedding Cake does the same thing. <laughs>
0: Is that why you have to smash it on the face? Because <laughs> it's the, the full effect of it. No, I mean, what a dumb weapon. What a completely and utterly dumb weapon. Well, this thing will allow me to control you, but it allows the hero to control you, too. And that's how Wonder Woman manages to break Superman of the of the effects of it. It's this like, Superman, stop that. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Sit, Ubu, sit.
0: <laughs> Elsewhere, a good dog. Ruff. <laughs> Elsewhere on the planet, the Penguin and Ibeck build Cole's machine but are interrupted by Spy Smasher and Green Arrow. The heroes manage to take the two villains down, though they don't seem to notice the cloud that Cole's machine has released. Green Arrow, Spy Smasher, Superman, and Wonder Woman regroup in time to see the Densor Cloud cause Atlantis to start to sink again. Thinking quickly, Superman uses his super breath to freeze the cloud and then knock it into space no he does not throw it into the sun the heroes manage to get off Atlantis before it fi- fully sinks again and with Superman whining about not being able to help them <laughs> like, I hate it when Superman does that it's just like, it's like he's trying too hard to convince everybody that he couldn't do anything about it because the line reads it's returning to its former position beneath the ocean floor all the Atlanteans will survive in the air of their subterranean worlds there's nothing I need do to help them it's like, really, Superman? Are, are 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 you saying that to convince us or to convince yourself? Yeah, really, See, yeah, I, seriously?
1: <laughs> I didn't I didn't really read it so much as that he's saying, "Gee, I wish I could help." I, I read it more as him saying that, "Nah, I don't really want to be bothered." Because my my note on it was, uh, you know, Atlantis, according to Wonder Woman, had only recently risen, you know, yeah. again from being on the bottom of the ocean for thousands of years. So when Superman says, there's nothing I need, do to help, it's like, maybe so, dude, but damn, that's cold. You know, it took these, these guys thousands of years to make it back above the waves, and now you just let them sink right back down again. <laughs> that, Oh, yeah, man, it's, it's just, oh, it's cold-hearted.
0: And that's how the second version of the Superman Revenge Squad was formed. <laughs> the problem is, is that they go after the Superman of Earth-2, who didn't do a damn thing.
1: So. <laughs> it's like, what, what?
0: Um, Cull, meanwhile, is good and pissed that the heroes managed to cheat him out of one-third of his revenge. So then we go to the second part of this in Justice League of America, number 136, with a November 1976 uh, cover date. Same roll call and creative team as the previous one. As a matter of fact, it's pretty much the same throughout. Uh, The whole thing is done, but... And given how this story is kind of mishmash, I really think they should have took continuity off of the plot continuity credit of E. Nelson Bridwell. That is nothing against E. Nelson Bridwell, but as as we get further in this, this thing makes less and less sense as the story goes on. So we have Chapter 3, The Volcano Connection, which sounds like some really... Bad James Bond ripoff type movie uh, on Earth S. Hawkman, Hawk Girl, Bullet Man, and Bullet Girl deal with a volcano erupting in the Canadian Rockies, which is awful uncommon odd in those parts. They also notice that the people are being turned into volcanic rock, an affliction that begins to strike Hawkman as well. The heroes get the citizens below to run for their lives, and someone again asks where Captain Marvel is. Meanwhile, Billy Batson is reporting on the volcanoes and the fact that the Garden of the Gods in Colorado came to life while people around the monument were turned to stone. As Billy thinks about the fact that he can't change into Captain Marvel, another report comes over the wire about construction workers on a high rise being turned into iron while the building's frame suddenly walks away. Batman and Robin and Mr. Scarlet and Pinky are on the scene to assess the situation. And Robin keeps pointing out, I mean, you know, if uh, this is Robin's chance to shine, folks, because if he wasn't given Pinky shit the entire time they were teamed up together with all the crap that gets dumped on Robin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is, <laughs> it's like the kid that gets put on that finally has a smaller, weaker kid to pick on himself. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they arrive on the scene to assess the situation, and Batman's jaw turns to iron. We don't actually see this happening, it's just mentioned. Which caused me to have to go back, like, a page to figure out what the hell just happened. Uh, From a distance, the Joker and the Weeper watch the heroes for a moment before robbing a jewelry store. The jewels begin to come to life as well, and the villains escape, leaving the heroes to discover that the people inside the store had been turned into diamond. Now, um... Just to tell you, somewhere in all of this, half the world that's supposed to be in the daytime is in night, and half the other half that's supposed to be in, in night is in day. It's never really made clear when this happens, it just happens, so go with it. They track uh, They track the villains to their hideout, and after a quick battle, defeat them, though they are still curious about all of the madness going on. The heroes check in with Jim Barr, secretly Bullet Man, who is is essentially the Barry Allen of Earth-S, and he tells them that the juice in the Joker's button that they thought was causing all of the transformations is nothing but concentrated nitrous oxide. This doesn't explain Batman's jaw turning to iron and Pinky's hair suddenly turning into diamond. Again, we don't see it happen, it's just freaking there. (laughs) Robin figures that this is all Cull's doing, which Cole agrees with and laughs about how the destruction of humankind is inevitable. Batman and crew are joined by Hawkman and crew. Hawk Curl informs the group about a series of robberies on the dark side of the world, and in short order, they figure out that Dr. Light and Shade are involved. Thinking that the criminals are expecting Batman and his team, Team Feathers and Bullets fly off to take care of the situation. Oh, I forgot to mention that that was all Chapter 4, The Sting of Laughter, The Splash of Tears. So then we go to chapter five. Do you know how to pronounce this word?
1: Uh, chaos. And oh, no. Chaos and Shira, Shira- Scur- No.
0: Shira Skuro. That's what we're going to say. We're going to move on. Not going to dwell on that. There's some uncomfortable art on that page. Um, as Billy and Mary and Freddy try to figure out why their powers aren't working, Hawkman and Bulletman face the Shade and the Louvre. The Shade begins brings the paintings to life, including one painting that looks like an underage girl who's naked, which really makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, th- those paintings battle the heroes, and during the melee, bu- Bulletman's hand turns two-dimensional. The shade escapes, but the heroes catch him in quick order and try to use his cane to reverse the darkness, but that doesn't work. Meanwhile, Hawk Girl and Bullet Girl fight the animated geysers <laughs> in addition to Dr. Light. They break free of the geysers and go to face Dr. Light, but are shocked to find him petrified with Bullet Girl's arm doing the same thing. With the help of Dr. Light's constructs, they figure out all of the problems are caused by two satellites, which turn day into night and night into day. And Hawkman and Bulletman quickly go into action and cause the two satellites to crash into each other. Everyone is returned to normal, and once again, we basically get uh, Cull saying, Curses! Foiled again! Meanwhile, Shazam thinks about the fact that he can't send the lightning to turn his champions into the marvels, but he is confident that Mercury sent the one being that can help. On earth S, Johnny Thunder confronts Billy, Mary, and Freddy and gets yelled at for nearly blowing their secret identities. Good good, good going there, Johnny. Quick thinking. Really <laughs> glad that you were were in on this. So that all leads to... Justice League of America number 137, which has a December 1976 cover date, and has a cover that makes you think something's going to happen in this issue that just flat out doesn't. Uh, Though though Batman and Robin really are cheering Superman on in that.
1: Oh yeah, Batman's totally going, kick his ass, Superman! (laughs) I love it.
0: (laughs) So this is Crisis in Tomorrow. Uh, same roll call in credits. Cole uses Mr. Adam to attack tomorrow. All right, a futuristic domed city.
1: Where is this place? I want to go there.
0: It does kind of look like Logan's Run, doesn't it,
1: it? You know what it looks like. I don't know a if great, you've ever big, seen beautiful tomorrow. What? I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> a great big beautiful tomorrow. Yes,
1: exactly. I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, it's called Walt's last film. It was the promotional film he did about his concept for Epcot. And I'm telling you, dude, it looks pretty close to that. When, and I when cannot was that
0: film, When was that filmed?
1: Um, let me see about two, either two weeks or two months before he died. So this was late 66.
0: So it's very possible that yeah. Dick Dillon took out those designs and just kind of used them. As
1: I'm references. seriously thinking so. Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, not, not insulting Dick Dillon on.
1: This. No, no, I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's just it it's just possible that that was the inspiration for this.
1: I think so, that's great. I hope it I hope it really do, does turn out that that's the case cuz I think that's very cool.
0: Um Mr. Adam by the way is a giant robot that fought Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I didn't bother going into who the weeper was cuz who gives a shit. Is um,
1: Mister Adam the one that that's frequently seen having his head punched off like a Rockam sock'em robot by Captain Marvel, or am yeah, I a different guy? I think
0: so. I think you're right on that. Again, Captain Marvel, like like old like older Captain Marvel, the stuff from the Golden Age and the stuff from the 70s, I'm not as familiar with. I mean, I could talk about him all day long from Crisis onward.
1: Right. Me too. Yeah. But,
0: uh, but anyways, the two flashes, the two Green Lanterns. And Ibis and Mercury rush in to fight the giant robot, but are powerless to to both defeat Adam or penetrate this mysterious black aura, which seems to infect Ibis, Hal, and Alan. The GLs and Ibis track the aura, which is somehow negating gravity as well, as the Flashes fight Mr. Adam and save the citizens of tomorrow. And I will have to admit that while I am not a big fan of the art, which I'll get into some specific examples when we get into the notes Art-wise, this was the strongest issue of the ser- of, of this storyline. There were actually some really cool bits of art in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 7, Death is a green-skinned computer. After saving an airplane, Hal, Alan, and Ibis track the aura to a ship manned by Brainiac, who uses his barium effect to turn Hal into, into a skeleton. And, you know... I understand what barium is, but when I think of barium, I think of the time I had to do a barium swallow <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to, uh, to check out what's wrong, what was wrong with my stomach. And if you've never done this, folks, it's horrendous. It's awful, and you'll be shit and white for several days after that. But anyways. Awesome. Ibis arrives, and the two defeat Brainiac, and realize that Brainiac is causing the Black Aura, and the robot is forcing the Flashes and Mercury to run as part of some sinister scheme. Howe smashes the consoles, which control the Aura, and the two GLs find that the machine is speeding up the Earth's rotation, and realize that it is powered by the Speedsters. Chapter 8, When Titans Clash The aura disappears from Adam, but that doesn't help the Flashes all that much when he knocks out Ibis and steals his stick and leaves. The heroes all head to the Rock of Eternity to take on Kull, but Kull has a trick up his sleeve, Red Kryptonite, which causes Superman to go insane and become a killer. As Superman starts to go batshit crazy, Johnny Thunder uses his Thunderbolt to change the kids into the Marvel family, and they all head to the Rock of Eternity, and the final battle begins, with Captain Marvel taking on Cull. Outside, the Green Lanterns try to pelt Superman with green kryptonite, but somehow he is immune. Captain Marvel realizes how to save Superman, because he is vulnerable to magic, and rushes towards the Man of Steel, taunting him. He says the magic word, shazam, which snaps Superman out of his plaque towel and the (laughs) heroes lock up call and everyone goes home. (laughs) That's the end, folks. It was like a a lot. Man, you know, I have to admit there are some good points to this story. There really are.
1: Yeah, there are.
0: I like how they teamed the characters up. And how they decided which villains to use. Except for Blockbuster Iback and Penguin. It's like you had the Joker and the Weeper. You had Shade and Dr. Light. That's kind of cool. And you had you know the Batman and Robin teaming up with the Batman and Robin wannabes. You really? had Hawkman and Hawk Girl teaming up with Bullet Man and Bullet Girl. You know, the two flashes, the two green lanterns. You know that's kind of cool. You know, Superman and Wonder Woman teaming up, which is not something you really saw all that often. Right. Of uh, the super, the Superman of Earth One teaming up with the Wonder Woman of Earth Two, so that's kind of cool. And I got to admit, there is a certain charm to this whole thing. Oh, uh, Mister Adam and Brainiac. Yeah, that's actually really clever. So on a plot level, this story has a lot going for it, because it's kind of interesting. You know, it's a very typical team-up between these two teams. You have a big villain that is causing a ruckus now on three worlds, and the heroes have to team up to fight him. And, they, you know, you get to see heroes you've probably never seen before, especially with the Earth-S heroes, because I doubt a lot of, uh, like, your mainstream comic book fans of the, of the 70s knew who the hell spy smasher was or knew that there was a bullet man or bullet girl, unless they like read all in color for a dime or something like that. Right. So all that's really cool. The, but when it comes down to it, this story is a lot of Vim Vigor and pep that goes absolutely nowhere at the end. Right. And essentially, it's like I've got all these plans. Oh, they defeated me. Well, I've got these plans. Oh, they defeated me. Well, I've got one. Oh, I'm done. Yep. I mean, ah. And Cull isn't a very good villain. I'm sorry. He's not like the strongest villain they could have chosen. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you one thing, though. He's got to be one of the most bitter villains oh, I yes. can recall. Because how pissed off would you have to be that it actually requires the death of humanity on three different <laughs> Earths in order to settle your grudge? You know, yes, that's a serious mad on right there. Uh,
0: but my my main problem, and I hate to say this, because you know we get accused of of picking on certain artists. But, man, I am just not into Dick Dillon's art. No, It's very serviceable. It does what, you know, it's got some good composition to it. But the, the final product very often is wooden. It doesn't flow very well. I, you know, it's like the last issue had some really good moments. Uh, there's a page of the two flashes running along in that final issue to save people in Tomorrow. And it's a really awesome looking page you got Barry Allen catching somebody as uh Jay Garrick is running along keeping stuff from crushing people and mr. Adam looks good and then and then two pages later you have Green Lantern Hal Jordan trying to break into Brainiac's ship and suddenly he's turned into a walking skeleton and it looks pretty damn neat, but the fact of the matter is is that Dylan. Dylan is just not my favorite artist. And it's really kind of sad that the first big meeting, the first official meeting between Superman and Captain Marvel, happened on one panel at the bottom of a page. Right. The panel on the next page with all the heroes rushing off to return to their worlds is bigger than the climactic moment, the moment that readers were probably waiting for. Yeah, Because this was going to be Superman meeting Captain Marvel. And the cover has them flying towards each other. Like, oh, crap. It's on like Donkey Kong. You know, we're ready. And nothing. Nothing. R- you know, really. for
1: almost 40 years at this point, fans had, had yeah. probably waited for this moment where these two would finally not only meet, but, you know, the the cover even implies that, oh, my God, there's going to be a tussle of Titans here. And it does not happen. Yeah. Now
0: it does later in Captain and in Superman versus Shazam, right? Handled by a much better artist. I really (laughs) need to do that, but but really, this should have taken up three pages of the story almost.
1: It should have taken up the whole last issue, in my opinion. (laughs) No, I'm I'm completely serious because you look at that cover and you think, oh shit. I mean, because that cover makes it look like this is going to be. The thing. This is Superman versus Captain Marvel. Yeah. And it's not at all. I mean, I'll even forgive the fact that it's not the whole issue. But, I mean, the whole last chapter should have been that. And it's not. I mean, you, you literally get to the last few panels of the book, and it's like, okay, the moment you've all been waiting for, oh, it's over. And I'm like, what? Yeah. It, it is a complete jip. It is really a complete jip. And uh, to go back just a moment about what you said, you know, oddly enough, while you were doing your synopsis and I was flipping along pages to follow you, it suddenly hit me exactly. You know, for the first time, I can actually put into words exactly what my problem with Dick Dylan's art is. Um, younger listeners, I hope you can follow where I'm going with this. I apologize for using an aged reference, but Michael, I, I think you'll follow where I'm going. Do you remember color forms?
0: Oh, yes, very much so.
1: So you could take a color form that would show Superman flying towards something, and you could take a color form that would show (laughs) Captain Marvel flying towards something, and then you have another color form that was Batman standing there, and another color form that was Wonder Woman standing there. You could make a picture that looked pretty cool, yet it didn't really flow, and it wasn't terribly dynamic, but it was a representation. All the characters are there, and they're all doing sort of something, yet... It doesn't jump and look fluid and in motion and uh, quote-unquote real like, uh, say, like a, like a Rich Buckler or yeah. Jose uh, Luis García López uh, or George Perez or somebody like that. That's my problem with Dick Dylan. It's serviceable. But serviceable isn't always all that great. I'm sorry. I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Flash. The two flashes saving a city. How many times have you seen that? And it takes up three quarters of a page? Yep. This moment doesn't. Right. And that's just <laughs> And I I don't know if that's how it was written. Cause these things were fully scripted. So maybe it's not Dick Dylan's fault so much as the people writing the script. And like it's on... all <laughs> Okay. I this is gonna seem like a really weird analogy. But I'm like the king of weird analogies. When I was a kid, I would always get really frustrated when I had to write my name on like a little, like, you know, tent paper that you put in front of you to say who your name is. Right. Because I'd be really careful to write my first name. But by the time I got to my last name, I realized I made, I took up too much room with the first name. <laughs> so the last name has to get squished in. Right. That's what this feels like. It feels like oh we have all these awesome things to end it. Oh, it's the last part. We got to have it done really quick and get out of there.
1: I think a lot of stories from this period of comics feel exactly that way. Where yeah. where they got to the end and they realized, "Oh shit, I've only got a page and a half left. I got to I got to just wrap this up."
0: <laughs> I think
1: a lot of them do. I I'm I'm completely serious about that.
0: So, not the worst of the meetings by any stretch of the imagination. No. There were some real clunkers before this, and it is cool that Earth S got introduced. I yes, mean, I those characters are at least interesting looking. I'm not going to say Mr. Scarlet and Pinky are, because I think I really can't. I can't get beyond those names, dude. Mr. Scarlet, not a bad name, not a bad name at all, you know. But they had to keep the color theme going with his sidekick, didn't they? And what is a lighter version of red? It's pink.
1: I wonder you know, if the uh, House on American Activities Committee ever gave them a hard
0: time.: It just reminds Pinky? me of that, just reminds me of that South Park episode where big Gay Al gets kicked out of the Scouts <laughs> and, they, and, and they, they send in like the really big, you know, macho football coach type. Uh, scoutmaster to head the group and he's talking to one of the dads. He's like, well, you know what else they say about kids? They're all pink on the inside. I mean, it's just like, is that, I hope that wasn't the inspiration for this. I, I hope, no, no.
1: Oh my God, you're wrong, dude.
0: I am really wrong. But I will say this as my final note on, on the whole thing outside of the fact that Johnny Thunder sucks.
1: Um, <laughs> hey, come on! Now. At least he was used to good effect at the end of the story because the Marvel family couldn't become um, their superhero selves without him.
0: No, they became Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. the the one superhero that can't say his own name and Mary <laughs> Marvel because of the Thunderbolt, right? Not because of anything really Johnny Thunder did. It wasn't it wasn't even Johnny Thunder's idea,
1: right? But no, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're attached, you know, they're, they're one superhero put together, if you know what I mean, you know, he he controls the Thunderbolt. So I'm not trying to overly defend him because I think he kind of sucks too. But at least he wasn't just like there and didn't serve a function. At least he was used to to some sort of effect, you know, (laughs) in the end.
0: Actually, Dick Dillon predates Ed Benes about introducing a female character and immediately having her ass jut out to the camera. (laughs) That's actually what he does with Mary Marvel. But no, the one thing I will say about his art is with Captain Marvel and Billy Batson, he kind of tries to do that black dot eye effect. Yeah, I hate that. Uh, My wife could not stop complaining about that when we watched the Brave and the Bold episode with Captain Marvel and Black Adam. She really couldn't. She's like, she's like, what's wrong with him? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, 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 that's one of those holdover things that I wish that they could get past. Is dr- everybody's got to do the CC Beck thing with Billy Batson and, and Captain Marvel, and I really, I'm really tired of looking at that. So. Stop really it. Hate that, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, I, I really, <laughs> really do. You know, I. You know, homages are fine, you know? Yeah. But when you're slaved to something and it holds the character back from, from and, development. Well, when it makes and, the
0: character look different from everything else on yeah. the page. Yeah. I mean, if every character was drawn like that, it would be one thing. Because the Fleischer Superman kind of had that effect, too. Right. Where he was constantly squinting.
1: Squinting, so Yeah. You,
0: so if you put those two characters together artistically, it works because they look like kind of on a similar level. When everybody else has pupils.
1: <laughs> oh, you know what there should be, dude? There should be the squinty-eyed Fleischer Superman versus the squinty-eyed C.C. Um, C. Beck Captain Marvel versus Mr. Magoo. That would rule.
0: Are Are you really going to have Superman and Captain Marvel fight a guy with a, vi- a visual impairment? Sure. Why not? Well, Mr. Magoo's going to win because he'll just stumble into it.
1: (laughs) Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. You've done it again. Oh my goodness, I am going to try to keep my notes brief and concise, but man, do I have a laundry list here. And (laughs) before I start, I do want to reiterate, we do truly love this material, even though we are fully prepared to rip it to frickin' shreds and stomp on it. So, here we go. All right, let's see. Since when do the gods live on the Rock of Eternity? Was I missing something here? (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm so serious. I'm hanging out. I, yeah, I. I, I went, when did that? I mean, I really don't remember that. If, if if I'm wrong and that's been established somewhere else, somebody please clue me in because I really don't remember that. Um, on the cool side, one big plus to this story, I liked Shazam being involved and, and actually being like pals with the gods. I like that, and I like that DC has actually kind of kept up with that because there have been several like – crisis related stories over the years where Shazam actually played a, a pretty big, he, he's almost like uh you know, to use a Marvel analogy, he, he's almost like one of the elders of the universe type of thing. At this point, yeah. he stands toe to toe with like Zeus and, you know, the specter and guys like that. I think that's pretty cool. I, I, I like that. Um, my most uncomfortable nitpick of the episode, but I feel it has to be pointed out shouldn't mercury be naked because i'm pretty sure that mercury ran naked in mythology
0: i i think so i'm kind of glad he's not but yeah
1: you know. i'm glad he's not too i don't want to i don't want to see his uh his his winged, if you know what i mean but uh i'm pretty sure the ftd uh logo is mercury and i'm pretty sure he's uh bare ass so like i say uncomfortable but i felt it had to be pointed out um I had to look up Bumper Morgan, which was referenced in uh, issue 135 in the fight with uh – Black Canary and Green Arrow are taking out somebody, and and they both talk about they. He he mentions Bumper Morgan, and she mentions the Blue Knight, and I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah, and I was it actually turns out,
0: curious about that too.
1: It turns out it was like this super obscure TV show lasted like one season, so you know, I, I, I guess we can't faulted. I hate when I hate
0: when people try to get topical like that because you know when you I know they they probably weren't thinking, hey, thirty years later, people are still going to be reading this, right? Um. Yeah, still come on. Yeah, really.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't like that thing either because you know, like you say, thirty years later, you know, people are going to be looking back at the Ultimates, going, "Who the hell is Freddie Prince Junior?" and stuff like that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they won't. They won't understand it. Another awesome moment. This this actually is probably my favorite moment of the entire this entire three issue story is the fight between Superman and Blockbuster because I always like it. When Superman gets pissed and his big argument is, I'm Superman. I love that. I I, I like it when (laughs) when Superman doesn't usually get very arrogant. He's actually like the least arrogant person and and the most humble person. But I do really like it when he gets pissed because one of my favorite issues of uh, DC Comics Presents, one of the first ones I owned as a kid was where he and uh, Mr. Miracle fought. And in that, he ends up just beating the hell out of Mister Miracle, and the whole time he's saying, "I'm Superman, Superman," and I love it. See, so he does the super, he does the same thing in this. He's pounding on Blockbuster, and he goes, "Because you see, I'm Superman, and nobody takes Superman." Got that? Nobody, and he smashes him through a mouth. I love it. It's great. I love it when Superman loses his shit like that. That's cool. That that made the whole thing worth reading right there. Um. I loved in the beginning of issue 136, where uh, Bullet Man's flying over the crowd going, uh, Volcano erupting, run for your lives. And I'm thinking, no shit, Sherlock. I can <laughs> see that. You don't have to tell me I'm already scooting as fast as my feet will carry me, okay?
0: Feet don't fail me now. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I love uh, Batman's assertion. Where the hell is this here? I forgot. I failed to make a page. Oh, here it is. Oh, the pages aren't numbered. That's why I didn't make a page number reference. But it, it's it's during the part where Batman, Robin, Mr. Scarlet, and Pinky are dealing with the dancing gems thing. And, uh, oh, actually, it's not Batman that says it either. Oh, yeah, it is, too. It's Batman says it, but he mumbles because his, his jaw is turning to steel. So Robin interprets for him. And uh, they're looking at some scratches on the sidewalk. And, and Batman says... The only thing hard enough to do that is diamonds. And I'm thinking, um, no, dude, I don't think so. I think there's a whole lot of things that can make scratches on the sidewalks. Sorry, they're uh, world's greatest detective, but that logic don't follow.
0: <laughs> let's, let's, let's see how you, good you are when your jaws.
1: This is true. This is true. Maybe I shouldn't give him such a hard time because that must really totally suck. Um, so, in the middle of this world-shaking crisis, in which three Earths and the populations thereof are in danger of being exterminated, Bulletman goes back to work.
0: Uh, <laughs> I want—I want to see that scene of him, like, man, I've got to get to—I've got to get to work, guys. Wait a second! <laughs> wait, wait, whoa, 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 back that up! You have to go where? Guys, you don't understand. I've got this boss. He is a complete stickler. If I'm not on time, you know, I have maxed out my vacation and sick time, you know, being bullet man. So I've got to go. Are you fucking kidding me? Look, I'll help you out. I promise. <laughs> well, dude, if we need anything, you know, you better drop whatever shit you're doing. And he, they come in when his boss is like, "Bar, you need to get that east side rapist murder. Uh, we need you to look at this uh, laughing gas. <laughs>
1: In his defense though, I mean how much would it suck to put your ass on the line as a superhero, save not only the world but three worlds. Get back and you've been fired because you missed work. So in his defense I can kind of see where maybe, you know, he he was trying to have his priorities but still. Maybe
0: he could pull a maybe he could pull a, a Superman. It's like, "I'm a Bullet Man. Bullet Man."
1: <laughs> and then he beats the hell out of his boss. That would work. I'd like that okay my another one of my absolutely favorite moments of this whole thing and i love that uh see i like to read between the lines in these old books like this and i have a feeling that when uh hawkman proposes he says uh, on this page where they're about to go off on their mission where it's the hawks and the and bullet man and bullet girl he says uh the criminal may have been alerted to whom uh, whom to expect. I suggest we switch partners, and I'm thinking, yeah, I bet you do. But then I noticed that it's Hawkman and Bulletman go off together. And, and, Hawk... and, and he... I can <laughs> just imagine ahead, I'm going, son of a bitch, this isn't what I meant at all. She, that Bullet girl, she's smoking hot.
0: <laughs> well, it, well, it is the 70s, dude. I mean, you know. <laughs> Maybe, I just maybe read they that. were I'm swingers. Thinking, yeah, exactly. As in to swing.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I was just <laughs> imagining my like pot Girl getting kind of looking at him, like, "Are you kidding me?" I'd <laughs> be like like me and you and our wives getting together and I go, "Oh, I propose we switch partners." My wife, my wife would kick
0: my ass. And Hogg actually, I think your your wife and I would just look at each other and go, "What the fuck is going?" Yeah, on? exactly.
1: <laughs> I'd love that. Mo. I'd love there ought to be a panel of just an a look exchange between hot girl and bullet girl where they're looking at each other going, "What?"
0: <laughs> well, what would be great is the cut scene of of Hawk of Hawk Girl and Bullet Girl flying along and goes. He does this shit with Green Arrow and Black Canary. All- <laughs> God
1: damn it! <laughs> Shut up! It's not going to happen. Oh, I love it. Okay, one of probably the stupidest thing in this entire storyline, in my personal opinion. Okay, see if you can follow me here. You got the villains, Doctor Light in the shade dr light's plan he goes to the dark side of the planet the night side of, of earth and makes it daytime the shade goes to the light side of earth and makes it dark um why don't you dumb just switch hemispheres is that not a better plan
0: <laughs> because it, it, it it's cooler i got nothing it's so,
1: I, I don't get it. I mean, how much energy and money and, and time and everything is wasted by their evil plan simply to be, well, I'm going to make night day. Well, I'm going to make day night. It's what? Oh, dude. how does that? Well, I'm
0: going to tell you to shut the fuck up.
1: <laughs> I mean, how does that help Kinder play into, uh, what, what, what is that? What's the importance of it? I don't. I just didn't understand that at all.
0: It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't That's make any thing. sense. Yeah, it, it it's really, it's just stupid when you think about it. it I mean, makes... it's and 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 you know, it may seem like we're not taking into account that this was you know a simpler time in comics, and this is you know when comics were essentially written for for eight to ten year olds. You know, right. and I understand that and I, and I can even get, I can get behind that too. I really can mainly because, you know, I try to judge comics based on the comics that are in the period around them, not comparing this to say a justice league, justice society story that would come out today. Cause that's unfair to do. But even for this time period for 1976, this is a complete and utter silver age plot. Yeah. And DC, at this point, was really ramping up and becoming more creative in their story ideas around this time period. So it really stands out.
1: To, to me, there, there's a very fine line between trying to write a story that can appeal to a certain age demographic, but maybe still be accessible to an adult, but mostly you're writing to young boys, you know, like uh, like preteens, that sort of thing in this. I think there's a fine line between y- you don't want to get overly, overly complicated, you don't want to get too deep, you don't want to get too heady, you don't want to get too adult, and writing like you think your audience is just retarded. You know, I'm, you know I, I'm not trying to be overly harsh with that. I'm just saying this plot with the shade and, and Dr. Light just literally makes no goddamn sense at all. It, it's, you know, if this were modern comics, I would say that this was the padding out for the trades portion of the story right here. Because that's really what it feels like is filler. All right, we need these heroes to do something. something. So let's just come up with some threadbare thing for them to go fight these guys. But. It's when you look at the logic of the of the plan that you realize, wow, there is no logic in this. This is just two assholes doing something really stupid, and the heroes go to bust them up. So yeah, yeah. At least with the other goofy stuff, with like the dancing jewels and all that, at least I could see where okay, you know, the the bad guys are wanting to rob the jewelry store. That I can follow that. Okay, they they want to get rich. With this, what what the hell advantage is there of of making Day, night, and night, day. There's nothing that I can see other than you're just. ha-ha, I'm evil. You know what? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it I mean, I head hurt. Oh my god. Okay, this happens a whole lot in in this issue. This sort of thing. How does Bullet Girl know jack about Thanagarian science? She makes some reference about that during the. Oh, it's when. Uh, Hot girl is being scalded by the geysers. She yeah. says something about, you know, thank god that the science allows Hawkgirl girl to survive extreme temperatures or some bullshit. And I'm thinking, didn't you guys just meet like 5 minutes ago? How does she yeah. know that? That is repeated several times in this storyline, but the other one that really really drove me crazy was in 137 um Captain Marvel literally lays eyes on Superman for the very first time and says to Shazam, wait, Superman is affected by magic, right? And Shazam says, well, certainly. And I'm thinking, dude, you just met the guy. I mean, they just, <laughs> there was just a conversation about the fact that, you know, who is this Superman person? You know, not not two panels before this. And now all of a sudden he knows that Superman's vulnerable. How does that follow? It makes my it makes my anal retentive mind hurt. It makes it gives me a headache.
0: I'm glad you followed that up with retentive mind because I was about to get uncomfortable. <laughs> just to tell you,
1: is it just me or does it seem very heavily implied that Call actually knew what effect the red K would have on Superman?
0: Yeah, he he. he... It it was, it's an unpredictable, that was the great thing about Red Kryptonite, is that it was unpredictable. It might turn, he might get a lion head, he might turn into a bug, he might get really fat, he might get really old.
1: That's (sighs) actually what I I would really like that in this, in this story where, you know, Call is thinking, I will use this to make Superman evil and fight Captain Marvel, and he uses it on it, and and Superman grows like an ant head, and he's like, damn it, (laughs) damn it, damn it. And that's where the story ends. Ant headed Superman and Captain Marvel shake hands and they become best friends. Um, Billy talks about Captain Marvel as if they're actually two separate beings. And I, I just found that interesting. you I, I um, have any? That
0: is, uh-huh. That's really common, though. Oh, if it? if there is any inconsistencies with Captain Marvel, it is the argument about what's actually going on with the character. You know, some people are of the you know are are really and truly of the opinion that Billy Batson is in control. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the current characterization is that Billy Batson is Captain Marvel. You read the Golden Age Captain Marvel, and I've read a little bit of this, and I've listened to Bill Jourdain's The Golden Age of Comic Books Uh podcast, and he's talked about Captain Marvel a lot. And Captain Marvel refers to Billy. As a separate person. Hmm. So it was like Billy, it was almost like the Rick Jones, Captain Marvel. Yeah.
1: That's what I was thinking.
0: Uh, in fact, that's, that's why Roy Thomas did that is to bring that kind of dynamic into Marvel with their Captain Marvel. So,
1: so I wonder if the cap of that, of that golden age period, I wonder if that was ever explored. Where does Billy go or where does cap go? When mm-hmm. they're not the one that's that's you know presented, I don't think it
0: has been. Uh, but then again, I haven't read a lot of that.
1: So yeah, me neither.
0: I, I can't. I can't say it from a. It doesn't seem like something that would be explored during that era.
1: No, it does not. That's essentially, what I'm saying. And that's a shame. That I would actually like to have seen that you know examined. You know, did. You know, was Cap kept in some alternate dimension? You know, like like you say, like the Marvel version of Captain Marvel with Rick Jones and the Nega Bands and all that. You know, where where did Cap go when Billy Batson was, you know, out and about? If anybody yeah. if anybody knows that, you know, anybody in the Yeah, I'd, I'd really to like know to that. know that. I'd love um, to know that.
0: Because I'm sure there's somebody in the audience that's like a diehard Captain Marvel fan that is right now yelling at <laughs> his iPod or Zune or however he listens to, he or she listens to, uh, to, to, to the show yelling at their monitor.
1: I, I'm, I'm ashamed. I, I consider myself a diehard captain Marvel fan, but you know, like you say, i not of that era, you know, I, I don't really care for the older stuff that much. So I, I honestly, I don't know that. And I'm, I'm sad that I don't know that. Lastly, I just want to reiterate issue 137. What a jip! What a jip. There really needed to be that tussle between the two of those characters. Also, I, I failed to look this up. I meant to look it up before we started, and I totally forgot until just this moment. Does this story predate the Captain Thunder story in Superman? No,
0: I, I think that predates this.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I, that was actually a really good one.
0: Yeah, I actually I bought that in Metropolis. Oh, cool. Because at the Superman Museum gift shop, they actually had comics. Oh, neat. Uh, in the magazine section, they actually had some some Silver Age and Bronze Age comics, and that was one of them. And I'm like, dude, if I'm going to buy this anywhere, this is where I want to buy it from. You know. I also bought that issue of Superman that was right before uh, the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline. Where you had like the baby Superman's baby floating and and uh, insulting Superman and saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this advanced calculus while well, you spell cat.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't remember that one at all. I don't know what's what what story is this?
0: Um, it was an imaginary story where uh, where Superman had a kid and it was a genius. And it kind of went out of control and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, so are we ready to move along to the uh, the next story? Well, this is going to highlight the differences in our in our synopses styles because I will admit right up front that I really just did the broad strokes on this that's one. That's fine, so. no,
0: dude. I was just this was a really <laughs> complex. The, the plot of that thing made so little sense. Yeah, that I really had to. Yeah.
1: So, no, no, you did um, it. I'm not criticizing. You did an excellent job. I'm just saying that I'm not going to be near so detailed as in, like, he did this and she did that. I'm, I'm really giving you the overview more than anything. <laughs> so anyway, this is, uh, this is a two-part story. Um, starts in Justice League of America, number 147, which is the October 1977 issue covered by Dick Dillon that uh, shows more Drew. Fighting 19 superheroes in the greatest team-up of all time in space. I'll leave you to be the judge of that, if that's truth in advertising or not. Written by Paul Levitz, who was actually writing All-Star Comics with the Justice Society at the time. And Martin Pascal again. Art in the interior by Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin. The story is entitled Crisis in the 30th Century. Roll call for this adventure. This spans both issues. Some of these characters are strictly cameos, by the way, but this is the complete roll call. Representing the Justice Society of America, we have Power Girl, Dr. Fate, The Flash, Wildcat, The Star-Spangled Kid, Green Lantern, and Hawkman. Representing the Justice League of America, we have Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Arrow, Black Canary, Green Lantern, and Batman. Oh, actually, I said Batman already. Representing the Legion of Superheroes, we have Shadow Lass, Chameleon Boy, Ultra Boy, Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, Sun Boy, Brainiac Five, Princess Projectra, and Wildfire. Synopsis for this is all right, following their adventure in All Star Comics number 68, the JSA are visiting their Earth One buds at their swanky satellite digs. Green Arrow, being kind of the ass that he is during this period, holds up their attempt to return home, and while Power Girl and Superman of Earth-1 wander off for some semi-creepy alone time together in the JLA trophy room, a great big hand reaches down and snatches Dr. Fate, Power Girl, the Earth-2 Flash, Green Arrow, both Green Lanterns, Superman, Black Canary, Batman, and Hawkman. That's, uh, I think, a total of 10 heroes. And drags them to the 30th century. There, the evil wizard Mordru is pissed when he realizes that he extended the last of his waning energies grabbing these guys when he is actually reaching for the bell, jar, and wheel that contained the demon's wrath, ghast, and ab... Abnegazar, that's a tough name. I just say Abnegazar. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. I don't know if that's what it is,
0: but that's what I say. (laughs) That works
1: for me. I'm just going to call him Gaz. He uh, explains that the JLA satellite was the last known location of the three mystical objects, and uh, at some date that's been lost to to the mists of time, the satellite was destroyed and the objects were lost. He's already dispatched members of the Legion to find the objects for him in the 30th century under the threat um, to captive teammates of theirs of being killed by Mordru, but these heroes have failed to return. Mordru is just about to wipe out our heroes with a, uh, when a psychic suggestion from Dr. Fate causes him to reconsider his plan. Holding Green Arrow and Black Canary as hostages, drew dispatches the remaining heroes to seek out the objects for him, just as he did with the missing Legionnaires. Through a series of adventures, Superman, Hawkman, and Dr. Fate hook up with Sunboy and Wildfire and they get the wheel In the process, radically affecting the religion of an entire planet of little shape-shifting dudes. So apparently there is no prime directive in the Legion's Code, I guess.
0: I was about to say, they pulled a Kirk? Yeah, exactly. Just flew away? Yep,
1: just flew away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's great. Just wrong, wrong, wrong. Batman and the Green Lanterns, both of them, meet up with Brainiac 5 and Princess Projectra, and they obtain the bell. The Flash and Power Girl, the Golden Age Flash, by the way, and Power Girl retrieve the jar. Once they've got all the objects, Mordru sets about freeing the demons. But as is so very typical in these I'm-gonna-free-me-some-demons stories, they turn on him and blast him. And that's how issue 147 ends. I'm going to go straight into 148, and then we'll go back and talk about these issues 148, really beautiful cover by uh, Rich Buckler and Jack Abel of just a whole bunch of heroes beating the hell out of each other. It's pretty cool. Um, This issue is written by Martin Pascal with an assist credit to Paul Levitz. art by the same team, Dylan and McLaughlin. Story is entitled Crisis in Triplicate. And we open to Green Arrow bemoaning the fact that he's going to die like a chump, miniaturized and encased in an hourglass with the sand about to run out and bury he and Black Canary. The Legionnaires attack the demons that have just been freed, but they are repelled and sent on a mission to reunite the defeated Mordru's astral form with his physical body. This, this will basically uh, uh, render him powerless because that's how you defeat Mordrew you you bury him which is kind of strange. But anyway, the demons uh, quickly begin to quarrel amongst themselves about what exactly to do with their newfound freedom. One of them wants to join humanity in the 30th century's new era of peace. Just really appeals to the guy. Another uh, wants to rule the world. And the last one wants to revert the earth to its primordial state, uh, as it was when these three guys ran the show around here they realize that they cannot defeat each other. So they come up with a brilliant plan to have the three superhero teams fight for them in their stead with each demon controlling one of the teams. Uh, We do get some sort of kind of maybe cool battle scenes um, with all of these heroes just really knocking each other about and everything in the uh, 30th century world complete with, and this is going to make my friend Adriana Ferguson so happy giant legion statues because you know what if i've learned one thing listening to the super future friends is that you can't have a legion of superheroes story without giant legion statues so score one for this story (laughs) (laughs) to make a really 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 long story short The younger heroes, led by Power Girl, figure out that they aren't held in as tight a thrall as the older heroes, and they come up with a plan whereby the teams are locked into a stalemate in their battle, and the demons basically have to go back to actually fighting each other themselves. This works, and two of the demons seemingly destroy each other. And in the blast of them destroying each other, it supercharges Dr. Fate somehow, and it gives him enough power to actually call forth the pieces of the long ago blowed up JLA satellite to reform around the last demon imprisoning him and rending, rendering him, you know, powerless and entombed like he originally was. Crisis averted, Earth saved, and Supergirl and Power Girl they go off for a little alone time together to uh, do it like it's done in Alabama, and that's the end of the story. And uh I just have to say my grade for this meh it's yeah, uh, it's not as the same way. yeah it's not as bad as I remember it to be because I, I when I when we first proposed the idea of doing this this was the one I was dreading this was the one I was really thinking of. my god I remember that story sucking so bad but you know what it, it's not as bad as I remember it to be but my ultimately I can sum up my my problem with this whole story very simply which is you know You've got all these awesome heroes. You've got these three, like, honestly, like the three best teams in superheroes. And everybody gets short shrift in this. Nobody really stands out. Nobody's really dynamic. It's just, it's a giant... I I just don't have any other word for it. It's a big clusterfuck is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll
0: agree with that completely.
1: Yeah. And, and the JSA, if anybody gets like really, really short shrift, it's really them. I mean, they're almost in this by just, you know, just dumb luck more than anything. And, uh, you know, for this being the, the first meeting between some of these characters, um, yeah, yeah, it just, yeah, it, 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 it's too much i think there's there's too many characters in it there's too much uh involved with mordrew and the and the demons and all that and there's not enough i would have liked a little more preamble in the beginning you know with this being the first time that uh like uh oh wait a minute is this the first time that like power girl met because she wasn't in that other one right yeah she yeah
0: No, yeah. she, she she wasn't, and, and and that's the thing. That's that's the first thing that creeped me out about this is that Power Girl is all over the Earth One Superman. Yeah, and you know, it's I'm really beginning to like this place. It has a much nicer brand of Superman. You know, um, what? Yeah. Did <laughs> you forget, like, momentarily that the? I mean, okay, technically they're not even related, but
1: only on a technicality.
0: Well, it's a pretty big technicality that they don't come from the same Earth and they don't share the same genes. Yeah, but... But it, it certainly does look like she wants to go off so she can put the moves on him.
1: I mean, it comes down to this, dude, and I'm not trying to be rude, but I mean, would you boink your sister from an alternate reality? No. No, that's right. you know. I mean, it's. I don't see much. Yeah, I mean, I, really, technically, yeah, they're not related, but technically, they're kind of related. So.
0: Yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll agree with that completely. That's just like, holy crap on a stick. Um. I think more than anything,
1: I, I think the big uncomfortable thing isn't even really that so much as what does that say about her? I mean, is she secretly harboring a, 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 a desire to 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 boink her native Superman as well? That's kind of creepy.
0: Well, I hate to say this, that kind of plays into the whole frustration between the two of them, but still. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That that's it's extremely creepy. It's extremely And and it kind of like I'm glad we didn't get to see this get carried further because if Superman goes for it, then what does that say about his relationship with Kara? You know, and what what he wants it just brings up all kinds of creepy questions
1: it does but you know at the same rate I, I can't remember it seems to me maybe we talked about this before but i don't know how in depth we got would you give superman and supergirl or superman of earth 2 and power girl would you give them a pass if they had hooked up seeing as how they they're first... the only
0: oh yeah no no definitely it, it's you know they're they're the last of their kind well right definitely the earth 2 superman and Power
1: Girl, right
0: uh were the last of their kind. It really isn't excusable with uh, Superman and Supergirl of Earth One because Kandor's is there. And That's just true. Like, huh? Yeah, but uh,
1: well, like in they, the end, in the in the pre-crisis continuity, I think the only people that actually died in the destruction of Krypton were Jor-El and Lara, anyway. So, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you are so freaking right on that. Everyone freaking survived. <laughs> Oh man, no! I, I, you know, my notes on this are very, very sparse because I really just honestly did not like the story. Uh, I, I like the Legion. I am not a big Legion fan, but I'm not one of these people. It seems like in comics, if you nine times out of ten, if someone's not a fan of something, they absolutely hate it for some reason, right? And that is not the case here. I love what the Legion represents. I just, outside of the 1989, five years. Le- later Legion, I have never found a Legion to really latch on to. Right. You know, like a particular run or a particular era. Um, I like the fact that all three of the teams, it's like we said on a very early episode of this show, I think, they are the Alpha, Gamma, and Epsilon of the the DC universe. They're the first, the middle, and the last. Mm -hmm. You know... Love the Outsiders, love the New Teen Titans, love all the other teams that have popped up over the years, and you know Infinity Incorporated, which is technically the Justice Society, but still, like all those teams, as I do, these are the three big ones because they are the of their of their eras. They are the preeminent superhero teams. Right. So it seems to me that the story getting them all together for the first time should have been a little more spectacular than this. But what it boiled down to was a Legion villain that I absolutely don't like. I'll say this flat out. Of the more Drew stories I've read, I've never read one where I liked him as a villain. I just don't like the character. I don't know why. It's like one of those things where you, you see a character and it just completely rubs you the wrong way. Yeah. And you can't really articulate why.
1: I, I really need to read. I remember as a kid reading, I think it's one of those giant oversized, you know, like all new collector's edition or one of those type of books, you know, with a great big huge oversized. And it was a reprint of an old Silver Age Legion tale where Mordru was coming for them. And they were so scared shitless by him that they actually went and hid in Superboy's time in Smallville under assumed identities. And... I remember thrilling to that story as a child, but I really need to reread it now and see if it's good. But yeah, that story builds more drew up to where, man, you know, if Mon-El and Superboy are running from this dude, he must be really serious, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I like him just because of that childhood memory of him being built up to be this super badass, but he's kind of a jump in this story.
0: and th- And that's extremely fair. It really is because that's, You know, you you always get attached to the things that you thrill to, you know, when you're first getting into comics and the first thing that you really connect to. Mm -hmm. I'm not a really big fan of Abnegaz or Wraith and Gast either. Uh, I remember reading their Who's Who entry back when I was a teenager and going, yeah, that sounds like (sighs) – it sounds like they're a device, not a set of characters. Right. They're there for a specific reason, but there is nothing about them to say anything about them. You know, it's
1: Do you remember the promo teasers for Who's Who when it was yeah. about to come out? They were one of the, the promos I remember. I
0: have seen those, yes. I, yeah. I don't remember them because I wasn't reading comics at the time, but oh, okay. I do remember seeing those when I was going through back issues and stuff. That the the atomic night. Yeah. <laughs> do you know who I am? No, not a goddamn clue. <laughs>
1: That's why I carry the American Express card.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> but um, you know, again, not a big fan of Dick Dillon's art, but there are some images in here that are really cool. There is a shot of Batman. Again, I don't have page numbers, but it's from the the first issue. Let me get to that page. It's in chapter three. It's the fourth page of chapter three where there's just a panel of Batman's cape swirling around him that actually looks kind of awesome. It really does. Chapter three. It'll uh, be page 23, excuse me.
1: 23. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I think, oh, it just sucks all the way through. No, I mean, like we said, I mean, it is serviceable, and there are some poses and and different things where it does look very dynamic. But... uh, you know, just not not my my style. But yeah, his Batman, his Batman does look really good. I do like the way he uh, he draws Batman. He he gets still... the, the head right for one thing. And I'm a you know you know me. I'm a big stickler for Batman's head looking right.
0: I'm a. I'm still stuck on this dialogue. I'm really getting, beginning to like this place. It has a much nicer brand of Superman, you know? Uh, thanks, Power Girl, I guess. But frankly, I can't get used to you. You're nothing like my cousin Supergirl. Maybe not, but that's her problem. Uh, yes, well, uh, would you w- would you like to see the JLA Trophy Room? I'd love to, if you show it to me, Superman. Incredible, Black Canary says. And I used to call you a fast worker, Oliver. Chuckle. I guess I got women's lib on Earth 2 too, pretty bird.
1: Poor Star Spangled Kid, he's pissed because he he was he oh was yeah really want but, to hook up but, with Power Girl.
0: But what I but my thing was when I first saw that she was screaming. It's like wow, Superman went right to like <laughs>
1: <laughs> man, he doesn't screw around. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I didn't I didn't even oh my mind didn't even go that way, and it totally should have. Being an old yes. convert like I am, <laughs>
0: it's just like oh, that's wow. Awesome. And you can see like Power uh, like Hawkman and and Green Arrow high-fiving each other and Batman <laughs> going, "Oh yeah."
1: Need to change that panel of Star-Spangled Kid going, "Huh?" Power Girl to him going, "Damn, dude." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, just, one thing I really liked in this story was uh I don't know if this was just dumb luck, happy happenstance, or what, but Mordrew tells the story about, you know, one day your satellite will be destroyed and all these pieces will be... That actually, Yeah. Tops. the JLA yes, satellite does. does eventually uh, explode. Yeah, it, I it, thought that was cool.
0: destroyed. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, you got to think that they probably were, were calling back to that when it finally happened.
1: I, I'd like to think so. I, I would. I would really like to think that they actually you know, maybe consciously had that in their minds when, when that comes to happen. Um, there's also a reference. Oh, I'm not sure which part it, Oh, it's the the part where they go, Batman and the green lanterns go to that planet to get the bell. Right. And the dudes that run the planet are like, you can't have the bell. We're using the bell to hold off these dragon things that keep coming, eating our people. And the guy says with every appearance of the dragons, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me back up a little bit. In the ages before the bell fell to Vaxon, the dragons would come every... And there's some really bizarre word, ha, ha, Hausjmir or whatever. And the, the translation of that word is equivalent to two earth weeks. So every two earth weeks, these dragons would come and prey on the people. With every appearance of the dragons, thousands of Vaxonians died, carried off in the monster's hungry jaws. Now, I'm no mathematician. But if thousands of anything were eaten every two weeks, wouldn't they go extinct pretty freaking quick?
0: Uh, it just depends on you know what they are, really.
1: I guess. I don't know. Maybe these Vaxonian's like reproduce like jackrabbits or something. But I'm just I'm just saying. Every two weeks, thousands of their people get eaten. It seems like <laughs> there wouldn't be very many Vaxonians. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying.
0: I'm I'm just spitballing here, Mike. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, let me think. Actually, you know what? That's uh, that's the end of my notes. I really don't have.
0: Uh... Yeah, it's it's kind of an un, uneven because we had so much to say about the uh, the previous issue, but it. I think what it goes down to is the fact that. As much as I can find fault with it, it's a much more interesting story mm-hmm. than the Legion one. Because it seems like with the Legion, you really should have gone all out. Every, You know, you should have pulled out every single stop you have. But, no.
1: You know what <laughs> no, else this... Just... No, you're right. They didn't at all. Something else that this reminded me of um, when I finished both of these issues... Is something I used to like to do in my early days of collecting that I quickly stopped doing, which was I used to like to track down first meetings of heroes. Like the first time, like, say, I don't know, just throwing some out there, like Spider-Man met Cap or Cap met Iron Man or, you know, just stuff like that. Now, I'm, I'm referring to Marvel specifically because I very quickly stopped doing that. Because to the story, they were all so disappointing. I mean, the first time Spider-Man meets Cap and like the Avengers and stuff, it's so anticlimactic. They, they just <laughs> didn't make a big deal. For some bizarre reason, not a big deal was made of those early first meetups. These two stories totally feel like that era of Marvel to me. Is that here you have the first time... Superman and Captain Marvel are finally face to face. And it's really not that big of a deal. You've got the first time the very first super team, the justice society meets the Legion of superheroes, which is, you know, not so much in this pre-crisis continuity, but eventually, you know, the, the justice society, you know, once we get the unified earth thing and all that, the justice society is very much the first team that inspires everybody, including a thousand years into the future, the Legion of Superheroes, and again, not a big deal in this. And so, yeah, that's disappointing to me to to go back and look at you know the first time these these things that should have had an epic feel to them are just kind of like, eh, you know, that was okay, I guess. That's a, that's a shame. That's, it's like yeah. a missed opportunity, and in those kind of instances. I think it does make sort of a valid argument for when they start to reimagine these things and they do things like the ultimate universe and stuff, because although I'm not crazy about all that stuff, at least it gives them a, a new opportunity to do the first meeting again. And, mm-hmm. and do it a little more epic the second time around. So
0: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah.
1: But that's uh that's about all I got. I um is that all
0: you had, Mike? That's all I had, yeah. That was pretty okay. much it.
1: I uh, I owe our audience an apology because uh, I know that I teased – now, you didn't you, – you were actually correct in the actual episode itself. You said that the required reading for this episode was the issues that we just covered. However, in the text to where I posted up the episode and where I promoted it on the few different places that I promoted on the internet – I also included issues 159 and 160. And unfortunately, we ran out of time for this episode in which to get to those. So if you did manage to read them ahead, good for you. If you didn't, um, well, that's good for you, too. <laughs> so if you if you read ahead, you've got the leg up for next episode. If you haven't, then, uh, then that Then you have another chance. There but, but, but there's
0: a problem here, Scott. What's that? Well, there's a character... In 159 and 160, that uh, well, he 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 he's actually here to uh, to say something to you. So I'm just gonna get out of his way because 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 uh, well, he's your favorite. But I, I think Scott Scott, look out! Ah! Huh? Yeah. So Jonah Hex, uh, Scott's favorite character from. From, from what I gather in, in talking to him all these months, uh, just came in and shot Scott in the stomach. That's, uh, that's yeah, 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 Jonah, I know. It's a gut wound. It takes days to die. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and you got to be on your way. Yeah, Look, dude, sorry we didn't get to your issue. We'll get to it next week, I promise you. Yeah, have a nice day there. Bye. He's creepy. It's not just his face too. It's it's that voice. It's like it's like somebody's gargling, you know, Tabasco laced nails or something. Ugh. So yeah, I guess I gotta get Scott some medical attention. Um, God, how am I gonna get him into my car? There's a lot of blood too. I'm gonna have to get some plastic. Anyways, if uh, if you, you want to read these stories and can't track down the original issues, they are reprinted. And Crisis on Multiple Earths, Volume 4. Yes, yes, I'm taking time out of getting you medical attention to tell them where they can find it. Yes, Crisis on Multiple Earths, Volume 4. It's got a a nice Alex Ross cover on it. So, yeah, got to get him into my car, got to get him to the hospital, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about
1: random back issues from the past. You can find that at
0: www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend, and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that
1: he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com
0: and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos. and We love to hear from the listeners.
1: You can reach the show by writing to
0: talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America.